Welcome to Founder Chats by Bear Metrics. We chat with founders and hear about how they started and grew their businesses. My name is Brian. I'm the director of Ops at Bear Metrics. And this week, I talked with Santi Biblioni, founder of Core. In this episode, we talk about Santi's journey from WordPress to AI, how he got to the US, and an awesome deep dive on their sales process. Thanks, Santi. I appreciate you joining the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just curious to get a little bit of background on you to to set the stage. So, you know, when did you think about being an entrepreneur? Like, was that something that happened in school or uh, is that something that happened to you later in your career? I started doing some businesses, some small ventures when I was very young. I mean, I remember myself selling stuff on the beach when I was 13 years old. But after that, and, and, and that continued uh, my whole life. Uh, I mean, I, I always been like that. But I started my, my first formal venture that was a, it started like a blog and then it become uh, like, a, like a, a bigger blog that, that gave us the opportunity to start a, a, an e-commerce agency using WordPress. That was the technology that we were using on that blog. So yeah, I, and I started, I started the agency when I was 22 years old. That's awesome. What were you, what were you selling on the beach <laughs> when you were a kid? Milkshakes. <laughs> I, okay. I, 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 I started selling, so I started doing the milkshakes uh, on my parents' house and the one we, are, we were renting on summer vacations. And I went to the, um, to the beach to sell them. And, you know, the, there was a, the man from the resort. He, he came in and said, hey, guy, like you're selling. I really don't remember if, he's, if he really told me. Some, some people said that, yes, the story is that he told me, I was selling more uh, milkshakes that uh, at the resort. Uh, so he said, like, hey, you need to cut this. Uh, so I stopped. <laughs> I stopped with milkshakes and I and I and I understood how to to build stuff like uh, some uh, some uh, threads and and I sold them also on the beach as well. That's awesome. So you you got shut down on the. Uh... That regulation shuts you down on the, the the milkshake side, so you say, okay, I need to find a I need to find a new line of business now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, it it was just for fun. I was I was very young. Of all, of course, I I I made some some pennies, but sure. yeah, I mean, just just to give reference of the mindset. I mean, since very young, I I always enjoyed doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then, so you said the moving kind of your early kind of early proto proto companies that you started, um, you know, proto uh, entrepreneurial activities, you went from that and kind of the next step that you took was starting the blog. Yeah. So when I was, when I was 19, 20 years old, I was at college and, and I had, a, I studied communications and I had a, a professor that he aimed us to, to, to public all the journalism uh, articles that we were writing on a, on a blog. At that time, like 10, 11 years ago, WordPress was, was, was a big thing uh, and it was at the early days, right? So he said, Hey, you, you guys need to, to write a, to, to build a, a, a blog with, with your first name and last name dot wordpress.com. So I did mine, Santibibiloni dot wordpress.com. And he said, I'm going to put, you need to upload all the articles here so I can correct them. I can check them and, and put you a, a note regarding on regarding on, on, on the article that I see there on your blog post. And I said, okay, fine. So 
all people we were all in that class we were we were uploading our articles each of us on 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 their, on our own uh, blog and once this subject finished i asked this professor i said like hey do you mind if i if i close this blog and i start my own i mean i buy a domain a new domain and and i call this this blog no tenemos techo no tenemos techo in spanish means um we have no roof like sky's the limit and yeah and i started uploading and putting a lot of articles that i was writing yeah so at, at that time i started receiving a lot of visits like 30,000 unique visits and Yeah, and then a lot of international newspapers published some of these articles. And what I realized is that there was a 10 years ago, at least in, in Argentina and Latin America, there were a lot of entrepreneurs start trying to start business, uh, digital businesses, and they had no money at first for their MVPs. To, they, they wouldn't hire a, a formal agency, creative agency, to, to develop their a website or marketing campaigns so as i knew wordpress was was very strong and very powerful i started my own agency when i was 22 21 22 and that agency balloon group became the one of the fastest growing uh, agencies in that industry uh, by 2014 it was it had 400 clients in 12 different countries and it was all bootstrapped with no Yeah, with no external capital. And yeah, I, and it all came from an opportunity. I mean, I, we started Balloon Group. I started Balloon Group by, by understanding the problem there was in the market of new entrepreneurs trying to, to build stuff and, and, and they couldn't pay uh, formal agencies or formal, formal software development shops. And they didn't have co-founders as CTOs, CTOs. So. That I, I founded that niche and I we scaled the the business quickly and also during my my time as a CEO at, at Balloon Group I I saw a big problem in the creative industry in the advertising industry and also in the so all the all the professional services industry so creative creative agencies sell hours of their people as well as consulting firms does do. So same thing happened with the software development shops, lawyers, accountants, architects, and more. And I realized there was a big problem in that market as well. So we sold part of the agency and we decided to start Core. So that's when we moved to the Valley, to here to San Francisco, and started Core. That's incredible. How did you, how did you go from writing on a blog for a class and you then you recognize that, oh, wow, there's actually like an opportunity here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how did you, yeah, what, what was it like? So you, you just kind of went from like, yeah, like you're just, you know, doing almost like a classwork and there must've been something that clicked or something in your head. You're like, Hey, wait, there's actually, you know, something made you want to approach the, the professor and say, Hey, um, I think I'm actually going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. Yeah. At that time, uh, I, I always enjoyed writing and I, and I was writing, you know, when you are like 18, 19, 20 years old, you're writing a lot of about, um, introspective stuff. Uh, you're asking yourself around about anything on the world. So I just wanted to share my thoughts with other people. And I said, the professor, when, when the, when the, when the subject, when, uh, like finished, I said, Hey, like, I think it will be worth if I share my thoughts with other people. 
and it ended up being kind of successful. So people liked what they read, and it was a time when where I, I, I created a category, like a section, where people can publish their post, and we were receiving a post per day or at least like three posts per week from people that wanted to share their thoughts on my blog. That's awesome. So when you decided to start the new blog, it sounds like you didn't have any idea that it was going to be any sort of... Yeah, I mean, now after after we did a, the agency that, that we did after and now core here with the support of terrific venture capital funds from Silicon Valley and from terrific entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, I see the blog as a, as a very small, uh, small thing. Uh, but at that time, when I was 19 or 20, I was totally excited about what we were building. That's interesting. What were you, what were you studying in school while all this was happening? Communications. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, so you're, you're writing and you're kind of interested in this space. And then you realize that you know, you're, you're writing about problems as far as launching products and uh, helping people or people, you're noticing that there's this issue where people that want to launch a product or, or having, um, have an idea that they want to bring to life, don't have the skills or the team or the knowledge to do that. And it sounds like that was the like realization, like, well, Hey, I can, I can do that. Kind of almost sounds like, Hey, there's people on the beach uh, in front of us. Like I can, <laughs> I can, I can sell something to them. So what was, what was that process of like shifting from posting blog posts to actually spinning up a spinning up like an agency service? Yeah, so this was ten years ago. The all the digital uh, ecosystem was growing a lot, uh, and in Argentina at this time, there weren't a lot of success stories of digital entrepreneurs. And what I realized is that most of these people that were having ideas and and they wanted to transform their businesses into digital businesses, they they needed help. They needed someone, either their partner, CTO, or either an external service provider that could help them and 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 start their businesses, their MVP, the minimum value product, and then help them scale. And I just realized that that opportunity, that problem. And I, at the same time, as I was writing this blog on WordPress, I realized how strong WordPress was and still is. And said like, I can build all this stuff with WordPress. So that's how we started. Then of course, we WordPress, WordPress started to be just a, a minimal thing of, of what we did. Uh, I mean, then we, we hired a a bigger team that specialized in, we, we did a lot of like e-commerce websites, uh, marketplaces, softwares and more. But yeah, the very beginning was uh, designing WordPress websites by myself. That's so cool. And it sounds like, or correct me if I'm wrong, but you identified that, hey, these customers don't know how to how to do this. And it sounds like maybe you had experience with WordPress, but maybe you didn't know either, but you just said, hey, I'll learn it and then I'll I'll provide these services for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I I was learning at the same time. I, I I was I was using WordPress for for my own blog and that's how I learned it. I mean, I didn't study I am not an engineer. I, I was building websites and and I had no previous learnings from from engineering, from coding because I didn't need it at that time with WordPress. It's awesome. And so tell me 
you mentioned that there was this shift of, okay, going from being a services company and then you're like, okay, maybe it's time to move into the to the product world. How did you make the decision that it was time for a shift? So I think that's a great question. And I think it's the intersection of, of two things. At first, the my willingness to do something very big, very big. It was very difficult to, to achieve this with a service business. And at the same time, the the fact of seeing a huge problem on the professional service industry that really um, touched me firsthand and I wanted to solve it. And the problem was so big and the market was so big that I said, hey, we need to start build this solution and we shouldn't do this in here in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. We should move to the Valley. And, and I was, I don't know, I was 26 years old. And I said like, I'm gonna apply for a green card. I'm gonna make things happen, but I'm gonna move to the Valley and, and, and start this business. And, and that's how we did. That's so cool. Do you think you're particularly good at identifying opportunities? I think everyone sees a lot of uh, problems around the world. It's just a matter of, because every problem is an opportunity. I mean, if you if you if you think of of a lot of all the softwares you're you're using today, they all solve a need. They all solve a problem. So, and not just software. Most of every business is solving a need. So, whatever you have around you yourself has a an, has the opportunity to become better. I mean, I don't know if, what are you using today in terms of like to cook or how are you driving uh, your car or how are you dressing like yourself there in everything you're using in, or in, in 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 most of these things there's an opportunity of doing things better it's better uh, better smarter quicker or more sustainable there's something that could be done better so if from those things from those let's say problems that there are and that there are like i you know ideas everyone has ideas the thing is who executes them right and uh, just to find the idea is it's it's very simple because it's it's like saying hey there's this problem there's this opportunity okay the thing is this problem needs to be very like very deep you know and it needs to be deep and it's and it needs to affect a lot of people a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of companies. Why? Because if this is not deep, people are not going to pay much money for that. If it doesn't hurt them a lot. And at the same time, if it doesn't affect a lot of people, the market is going to be very limited. So what you need to find is a very deep problem that hurts people a lot and that it hurts a lot of people. So then you can assure yourself being on, on something that can potentially be very big, right? That's awesome. So you had this idea and you said, okay, cool, it's time to, you made the determination that, all right, we want to go to, we want to go to San Francisco for this. This seems like the place to, place to grow and like incubate this idea. You mentioned you applied for the green card and you came out. Was that, how was that process? Was that a, a straightforward process or was that a challenging process to actually get over to San Francisco? It was a very challenging process. Uh, I remember my lawyer asking me, hey, Santi, what do you want to do? I mean, there's the L1, there's the O1, and there's the E2 or E1. That is, one is the employee or director visa, 
so we can create we can create your company here and we can say that uh, the company needs to hire you so that's a, like an employee visa then uh, there's a the investor visa is you 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 can you, if you raise money in Argentina from investors you can you can say hey I I have all this capital and I want to deploy it in the US so that's the other visa and he said and the last one but more the, the most difficult one is the, is going directly to the green card and going directly to the green card and he said like this is the the most difficult one because you will need to prove uh, extraordinary abilities and I mean it's the one that John Lennon had, uh, but at the same time, is the one that a lot of entrepreneurs like today. That visa is very common today. It's it's popular, and a lot of entrepreneurs that are coming from from different countries are receiving it. So he said, "This is the most difficult one. Um, we need to prove that the U.S. needs to have you uh, within the country to to create more uh, employment, to 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 pay taxes here." So how can we sell the U.S. government that they need you to be there? And that was the challenge. And but we made it. <laughs> wow. So even before you had to pitch any investors or try to get any employees on, you had to. Your first pitch was to the U.S. government. <laughs> All right, we <laughs> you need to let us in because we're going to make the country a better place. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty interesting. So yeah, I, I grew up kind of. I, I moved to the states pitching because it was. U.S. government, then we moved here and right off the back, while we were getting the the green card, that it took a lot of time. Uh, I mean, I, it took it took like almost a year. Uh, we moved with a, like a certification that said that the visa was in progress. So we moved here, but we like no one would no one would like at that moment to to rent us an apartment here in San Francisco where everything was very expensive and it's still very expensive because uh, I had. I was like a, an NN, you know, like I, I, I had no credit uh, report, um, no credit score, nothing. So I needed to pitch to the, to the, to the, to the realtors and to everyone until they, until I got a place. And then six months after we applied to 500 startups, one of, I, I, one of the largest accelerators here in the Valley. And, and it was the same thing. They said, hey, Sandy, I think you applied last year. Why are you here if we said no? I mean, <laughs> I said, like, man, I'm here. Like, I moved to the Valley because we're going to build uh, a very big business with or without you. So that's why I moved to the Valley. They, I remember there were seven venture uh, partners looking to themselves. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if this guy is going to make it or not. But he's confident he's going to do it. So at least I'm going to be part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting kind of playing through the the chain of events because like we're still like you're still getting to the point of like, okay, we can get started. You know, It's like we can, you know, you, you had to go through so many steps just to get to the point of like, okay, I have a place to live or, you know, those initial investor pitches. Like that's a pretty long road to get to before you can really feel like you're even at the starting line. Totally. Yeah, of course, at the same time, I was working and working and working on, on Core, the, this new company that I was building. So while I was doing, while I was doing all the green card stuff, all the, um, the 500 startup stuff and everything, I, I was building. Cool. Tell me about that process. Building? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, we, we talked about, you know, uh, uh, 10 minutes on getting over here and then you're like, yeah, you know, and I just built it. 
I think that's like you know that's the that's the hard part for for a bunch of people. Yeah, and and for us as well. I mean, there was a time when uh, we 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 had some differences with uh, so we were three co-founders and we had some differences with our CTO and and I, I we were going through a lot of things. Uh, what when we when when I first moved to to the valley, he was still in Argentina. And he, he, he left the company. We, like, so the long story short on that is that we ended up being my co-founder, COO and CFO, who's a, an old friend of mine from, from school and me. And none of us were engineers and we had no CTO and we were about to enter 500 startups and we were, I mean, <laughs> building, building the, the MVP or the first product to have traction was a very tough moment for us. Very tough. Then we we took uh, nine months to launch uh, a product, and after that we started iterating very fast. And and yeah, and then we we started growing little bit, uh, little by little. We entered into 500, and and, and 500 kind of helped us a lot. Uh, it was a four months acceleration uh, accelerator program that really helped us on scaling. Uh, we, at that point, we were selling. So core is um, projects profitability management solution for creative and professional teams, like for professional services firms. So we were an all-in-one solution that with AI that tells them if they're running profitable or unprofitable projects in real time. So at that time, um, we started validating and iterating with with some customers and i remember our sales mentor in 500 startups saying hey we, we were selling with free trial to smbs with no contract just they were just like trying the product and then they started paying they were paying month or a uh, month to month like monthly and then so free trial no contracts smbs and monthly and he said you need to take out the free trial you need to sell to fortune 500 companies you need to ask one year upfront on payments and you need to sign contracts for three years at least he said like what are you kidding me yeah like yeah. the company had like six months at that time the mbb was kind of rough and he's like i said like no man like you're you're wrong like i mean it's it's impossible we can we can get this uh, working uh, like on when it comes to year up from payments from Fortune 500 companies. And one month after, we were selling to four, Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> yeah, it was all a matter of having a north, like understanding what was possible, believing in ourselves, and of course having a mentor that has had already gone through through that and can tell us, hey. This is the path. You need to do this and that. How did you go from feeling pretty confident that SMB free trial month to month uh, contracts, then moving to Fortune 500, you know, long term contracts, year in advance, three year contract? How did you how did you make that mental switch of going from being, you know, I think we should be over here, and then getting the advice and deciding to take it that you needed to shift the the business model? You know, Brian, we we came here to the valley to make something big. So my ambition in the good sense of the world, my ambition was always to do core as big as I can. So 
if I was relying on a sales mentor that was great and is still great, I, I respect him a lot. His name is Nish Gore. And if I if I was going to rely on him, that he was he's very successful. He 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 did a, uh, he did these things before. I understood that that was the path to creating something big, at least for what we were doing. That we were building an enterprise software. It was some, it was something very robust for for SMBs. Now today is simpler, and, and we have a ton of SMBs as as, as partner or clients. Um, but yeah, I mean, he asked me, is this problem just on small companies or big companies have the same problem as well? And said, like, big companies have the same problem as well. He, so he asked me, and why are you not selling to these big companies? And said, because I think we're not there yet. I think we're not prepared as a product. And also because I have no knowledge on how to make a sale on to the CEO or CFO or of a Fortune 500 company. And he said, okay, we'll do this together. That's incredible. And so you went from no enterprise sales experience and in fact being very like SMB focused. And then did you say that the next month you had closed contracts? No, I mean, we started by the next next month, we so we closed the free trial. We started asking to our, our customers for contracts. Uh, we started asking for one year up from payments and yeah we we started receiving them and 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 we started with a life cycle enterprise life cycle that ended up bringing fortune 500 companies as clients in like three four months after after we started yeah i'm used to talking to people that are in kind of a constant love hate relationship with enterprise sales and i think the number one thing that they would say is like you know, the timeline, the, the the amount of time that it takes time to close is the biggest frustration. And I've heard from people things and I've personally experienced like, you know, 18 months from first conversation to close. So I'm very curious to hear, well, especially again, with somebody who, who you just never done this before. Sounds like you had an amazing mentor, but what was the roadmap? Like, how did you go from we don't have this type of business model to three to four months having these deals closed, which is like lightning, lightning fast for, for enterprise sales. So, you know, we had a great challenge. I think, as you were saying a couple of minutes ago, we, we went through like the green card, the apartment, not a lot of stuff just to, to get things started. And I think that helped me a lot, helped us as a company, but me that I was carrying sales a lot because norm- normally, uh, if you're here in the US, you're American, you you can you can reach from zero to a million dollars in ARR. If you're a wealthy person, if you came if you're the son of somebody, uh, if you came from if you did Stanford or Harvard or MIT or Ivy League, uh, and, and you have a lot of resources to 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 help you out to, to make your, your your first sales, right? In in our side and on my side this was this was totally different. Uh, I came out. I, I came here with no like no friends, no 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 one, nothing. Um, so I didn't know. Uh, I didn't go to uh, Ivy League uh, when I moved here. So I I didn't have any social network where I can uh, bring clients in. Right. So that enabled that pushed me and pushed us, of course. Uh, to start with scalable processes from the very beginning. And although it was very, very, very tough, 
at first, I'm very glad because from scratch, we build a very scalable company. And how is that process that go to market? I think that's, it's, it's pretty common when it comes to SaaS or enterprise businesses is, so you have one channel on our side, what, what makes the, what makes the best ROI in terms of a cost per acquisition is a outbound. So we do, we have, we hire SDRs. At first, I was the SDR and the government executive and the customer success manager. But then we hired an SDR. He was, yeah, he was a he. So he was um, calling and sending emails uh, to this ICP, ideal customer profile from our addressable market. So first thing we did is, okay, this problem that we are solving. Uh, and by the way, then we can talk about the big, like why the problem is so big and why are we in business? Because our purpose is, is key for us. So, so this problem that is in the professional service industry, that is uh, not having projects profitability, visibility affects more to CFOs. So we understood which were the three things, the three questions we needed to make to CFO. So the SDR was sending emails and calling, cold call, cold email to this person. But the problem is so huge that the, the person just answered back, hey, I'm interested, I wanna have a call. So after the discovery call, where the SDR sales development representative asked for, like he validated if the person had budget, authority, need and time. After validating that, he was scheduling a demo with the account executive, who was me at that time. Then I did demo and after the demo, like I, I validated the opportunity. I opened the deal on, on the CRM and and carried this the, the deal through the negotiation and, and then, then close the deal, right? So we started applying this process from the very beginning. And instead of applying it, I don't know, after achieving the $1 million in ARR, what it's the most common thing to do. So that that helped us because we attracted a lot of big venture capital firms or, or big entrepreneurs who are part of, of, of big ventures. And yeah, the, the fact of having a scalable and fast growing company and also uh, with great unit economics because we have part of our team internationally. So some part of our team is still in Argentina and our unit economics uh, are very strong. That's awesome. How early did you have your ideal customer profile? Early days, I would say, Very I don't know, yeah. like first month, probably two months. Okay. Yeah. How did you make the decision where I feel like a lot of companies, like it just, you know, off the top of my head for a company like yours, I could see other entrepreneurs saying like, well, there's a lot of people at our target customers, you know, people who are billing hours. There's lots of people who care about you know, uh, the, the overall profitability of projects, you know, the CEO probably cares about that and someone in operations and, you know, the, the team leaders probably care about that. How did you make that decision that the CFO is the person that we are going to target? So the CFO is the person who most cares about, about profitability. Of course, there are, are other people that care about profitability. The CFO, the CFO's job is to take care of the costs, take care of the revenue, and the difference between that, that is profitability, right? So although the CFO is not the person that probably in most of the cases, he's not the person that carries the, the revenue that is responsible for the revenue, he's the person that is, is responsible for making the company health, right? Healthy, um, he or she and the, and the CFO and the COO. 
CEO is commonly most more focused on on revenue, on 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 building the team, on 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 making the company bigger, right? Yeah, attracting new clients, expanding the vision, um, talking to the investors, relationships, and more. So, so what we did is, uh, okay, this is the total market, the all professional services industry. We said, okay, with 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 which vertical are we going to start with? And we said, agency, ad agency, creative agency. Okay, okay, from agencies, who's the person? Who's the person that? cares the most about profitability and but this and at the same time who's the person that has the ability to purchase the software and both things both directions pointed the cfo right so the cfo was the person that cared about profitability and at the same time the one that has the wallet and the money to to purchase the license so that's how we decided to go to the cfo and of course we target not just the cfo we also send emails to COO, CEO. Uh, on SMBs, on, on smaller companies, this is probably just the CEO. But when, when the company can, gets bigger, so the, as, 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 as the company gets bigger, you, you, you need to tackle like smaller roles, right? So if you're going to a Fortune 500 company, although the CFO is the buyer, you need to go first probably to I don't know, a finance director or yeah financial analyst or something like that uh, talking about the pains on on profitability they will scale they will become champions and they will scale the conversation to the cfo who's gonna actually purchase the product and so what and i feel like there's since you were so familiar with that space already from being in the agency side you could have also you also had sort of your your pick of which problem that you wanted to solve did you come to this idea of project profitability very early on or was that sort of was there any sort of co-evolution between what the the actual pain point that you addressed and the type of customer and the person at the company that you wanted to target so we as we had it the um, the agency before we understood that the main problem was profitability i was talking with jose my, my co-founder and, and coo cfo at core who was also a partner at balloon group the agency we did before we had monthly conversations about hey how much like what's the profitability this month because you know brand never like nobody cares about project management like project management is not the problem the problem is projects profitability what you don't want is to deliver a non-profitable project and to have 50 people working on something that is losing money and if you have if you have no visibility about that you're gonna end up delivering a lot of projects and by the end of the year when you want to share dividends with the shareholders there's going to be nothing and you have no visibility on why you have nothing so we were having monthly conversations with jose and we said like we at that time we were using tools like you know asana trello basecamp jira monday that moment was the pools we were trading them all they are great for task management and for collaboration but none of them have the PL on it right that's when we decided to to focus our product on profitability that's awesome so you came into the before you were really even building or selling the product you had this crystal clear picture of that profitability is the thing that companies should care about the most and then you got into the sales cycle and you identified okay cfos number one care about this the most and generally have purchasing. Most CFOs have have purchasing authority. So, and then you sort of, you quickly mentioned the 
the sales process that, you know, you have a, uh, an SDR and an AE, but I'd love for you to kind of, you know, now that I have that loaded into my brain and just go through the sales process again and sort of just break down each of the steps, um, especially since you said this is something that you set up at the very beginning of the company. It's kind of cool to view the view the process from that. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Brian, uh, you were saying the CFO has the, the purchase of authority and, and moreover, you know, very a very interesting thing as well is before going to again to the sales process is that people once you tell the end user like in in this case creative people account executives that are working on the agency so once you tell these people that the only way for them to have a better living is by showing their managers their projects profitability so they can renegotiate the fee with the client, once they understand that, they are totally engaged with the solution because they understand that logging hours, either if it's manually or automatically with the AI as we do, uh, it helps giving the managers visibility because if you don't do that, there's no way your leader can renegotiate the fee with the client. And if they re don't renegotiate, a fee on the amount of hour it's really taking, not the estimated hours, in, but the real hours. If not, you're always going to run an unprofitable project. And, and as a company, you cannot raise a salary if you're not raising your prices, if not your debt, right? So it's, it's key for the end user to understand why are we in business, to understand our purpose. Our purpose is to help the end user to have a better living to help the creative person to keep on working on what makes him or her happy. That is coming with great ideas that most of the time times transform the world on a better world. So is keeping on with their passion instead of, hey, this agency can't pay you a good salary. So you need to move to another agency and ultimately to another industry, right? So that's our purpose, and 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 once the end user knows it, everyone gets engaged on the solution and on the on solving the problem, regardless of the solution, regardless of core. So getting back to the to the sales strategy, yeah, it's um, we we get the database of most CFOs the world of agencies, then consulting firms, software development shops, then we get, we go a little bit lower in terms of roles. So CFO, a financial director, we also target COO and CEO. And then, so we send them emails. If you are going to SMBs or like mid-market, you can do this massively. I mean, you can run HubSpot to, to send uh, HubSpot or any other tool like that to send thousands of emails per whatever, per week, per month. The thing is, if you're going enterprise, you need to tailor the message. You need to you need to, to, to be more, to target it better. And once you get the attention of this person, you do the discovery call and you you validate if the person is sales a sales qualified lead. And then you schedule the demo with the account executive to negotiate, to do the demo, negotiate and close the deal. And so how do you build that initial list? Are you using like a prospecting tool or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, all tools that are out there in the market. I think we, we, we do all this with uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator and we scrap the emails with, um, with, with tools that are 
cool Silicon Valley companies. Uh, there are a lot of, if you, if you go there and, and see there's Hunter, uh, I think it's Hunter IO. There are a bunch. I mean, they're evolving uh, every now and then. And I have the team today that is uh, always uh, trying to find the best tool, but there are a lot. I mean, I think at, uh, when, when I started the process, we used Hunter and we used uh, Clearvit, if I'm not wrong. Now I, I know that team grew and they're, they're trying other tools as well. So you, you, you sort of already kind of created this, this core message that you want to communicate around running profitable projects. And it sounds like you do tailor it to the specific role. So some people are more focused on the side of, you know, make it easier for me to do my job. And then some people at the company are, you know, especially like the CFO, they have their attention turned very closely to, are we making money or are we not making money? And, you know, I'm sure sometimes there are some good projects and some bad projects. So you, you kind of, you have the core message and then you have the list and then you're you're sending emails either directly or through LinkedIn or, or using some sort of, what does that process look like? Yeah, I think what is, it's key is also to, so most of the startups, so I receive a lot of emails and LinkedIn messages every day from SDRs from other companies. And I think one of the most common mistake is to talk about them instead of asking about me. So they reach out saying, hey, Santi, how are you? No, I'm with this company, XYZ, and we solve this and that. Like, who cares about you? Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, I yeah. didn't ask you, what are you doing? Right, yeah, yeah. So... I think that's a very common mistake and I would encourage every entrepreneur and every salesperson who asked to, to ask uh, about what's the other per how's the other person solving their problem. And you need to be sure that it's the ICP and that the problem is, is, is big for them, right? So once you, you make two, three questions, so what I would do, what, so what we do is we congratulate we congratulate that person on the first paragraph, and it's sincere. I mean, all the all the enterprise deals we we go to, we, we target. We do this tailored. So we we explore the person, we explore the company, we see something that something cool they've done, and we mention that on the first paragraph. If there's a someone uh, in like if there's someone uh, a common relationship. Uh, like if we are both friends or if we both know someone, um, it's also very good to, to put that on the first paragraph. Then on the second paragraph, we would ask two or three questions about how he or she is solving a profitability project, uh, a profitability uh, problem. And in the third one, we, we just came, we just show him or her three success stories from companies similar to them. And at, at, at the very end, hey, do you have uh, some some minutes to talk? And that's it. And I think that well, then, of course, you have a lot of strategies you can do on on changing uh, your role or position instead of sales. You can put like consultant or or what, whatever. Like there, are, of course, like common sense things that will enable you to to have a better like. Uh, opening a better rate, uh, like a better answer rate and more. And then I think the second email needs to be very, very, very precise and simple. That is, hey, Brian, have you seen my last, e my last email? Thanks, Santi. That's it. You don't need to go again through the whole thing about profitability. And that email needs to be on cadence from like the, the previous one. 
If not, the person needs to go and search for your name and see what was the previous email. And it's mostly sure the person is not going to do that. Got it. And so there, do you do any other additional follow-ups or are there just two emails in the oh, yeah. in that sort of oh, stream? Yeah, then we do a third one that is a little bit more extensive with other questions. And then the fourth one is, uh, so the tool we use, HubSpot, it sends us a notification to to call the person. And so the call, the, the, the fourth action is to call them. And then we, we also write through LinkedIn with some very big, prospects we we did crazy stuff like sending stuff to their offices like very personalized big stuff and with very long sales cycles and they ended up signing and and becoming our customers after probably 18 months as you said before and and yeah we sent them cakes because they want a new (laughs) client yeah whatever we did a lot of things we travel we travel like we 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 close very like big deals in in different places and different states, different cities, uh, countries, and, and and for the big ones, we we travel for that deal. That's awesome. And when you when you reach out to call, are you getting their phone number from the same source as wherever you got their initial contact information from? Yeah, normally yes. That's awesome. So if I was you know if we were going to bring the the Santi method to uh, bare metrics, I would I would reach out to you, uh, and my my first email would be. Uh, hi Santi, and I don't say I'm Brian because that's the <laughs> that's the wrong that's line so wrong. to go yeah. with. I, would, I need to congratulate you first. So you know, I was checking out Core, and I think it's amazing. Uh, and uh, I saw that this recent press release of how you did this big thing, or you know, whatever whatever information you know, you raised all this money, or you had this huge success. Uh, and we know how hard it is to build a um, a software business. So our hats are off to you. And then I would go into the second paragraph, and I would say. I'm curious, how are you managing churn uh, at your company? Uh, we've, we've noticed a lot of our customers, um, before they start working with us, don't know uh, which customers are likely to churn. And uh, you know, addition, on top of that, don't know how to stop them. And then the third paragraph would be that proof. So you know, here's a, a couple of case studies. And here's a blog from one of our customers who reduced their churn by over 85%. Are you interested in having a call with us? Some, something like that? Is that roughly the, the format? 100%. You did perfect. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm open to any any coaching as well. If you have any recommendations on how to make that better, I mean, then of course you can try, you know, uh, doing videos. I mean, we we try a lot of things. Then of course you need to find whatever is also whatever is more scalable as well, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that's and and at the same time you you do retargeting, so you can target these people, this database on 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 paid media. So when you're reaching them out on email or phone calls, they go to the web and they they find you as well. They see the banners and, and, and it's, wow, these guys are targeting me. They, They're everywhere. Yeah, they yeah. are everywhere. That's really cool. And so what else do you do on the marketing side to support the outbound sales process? So we, we build a lot of uh, success stories. We put a lot of effort in that. I think that's very helpful. And we, so we do... We do SEO, we do SEM, we do, but, but a little, I mean, we don't spend all, we almost not spend uh, money in, in paid media, just very like we, we spend $3,000 per month and for the total, like total paid media for total SEM and everything. And 
then we so we do blog posts and then we do we do also a, a series of podcasts with people from the industry and yeah and so and, and and emails from like product marketing so what marketing does is they they generate a lot of mqls marketing qualified leads and they will have a score of the, how how hot they are based on on the amount of interactions that they do with our content and that goes directly to notifications to SDRs, so they can see uh, right off the bat like that someone had uh, interacted three times on our website, and he went to this section and to this page, and he went to pricing. And although he didn't ask request for a demo or whatever, he might be very interested, and so the SDR gets a notification automatically. Are those SDRs that handle the marketing qualified leads? Is that a different a different set of SDRs as to the ones who do the outbound prospecting, or is that the same team? So we started with the same. We started with the same understanding that the, that the the best practice was having a different one, but we didn't have the money at that moment to to hire. Not just the money, we didn't have it everything validated yet as to hire, and and at the same time we didn't have that much SMQLs to to have like specific people for for each segment and but today yes we have cool that's awesome and so so we've gotten them either it's been an outbound outbound prospect that we've gotten to come into the funnel or we have somebody interacting with our marketing content we get them to the stage where they're willing to have a phone call with us and then at that point what is your what is the next step that you're trying to get them to is it a a trial or a proof of concept or some sort of demo or where do you take them from there yeah, so after the discover goal and after they, they schedule demo with a with account executive, what the account executive does is they validate the problems this person has. They ask them, they ask the person if, if, if this is real, like, hey, so I heard you guys are. So everyone also wants to, to, to feel listened, right? So as an account executive, you need to go through all those points. Otherwise, the person would say, but so did I did I lose time talking with your other person with your colleague right so you need to say hey hey John um, I heard you have this visibility problem this and that and you need to tailor the demo for them in most of the cases as bigger the company is uh, they will like to introduce more people they will like to bring more people to the table in order to to make the decision right and if the company is very big, of course, they will include everyone like tech, security, like governance, uh, procurement, uh, like everyone. Like if not, at least they will include uh, their peers or some any other manager that will benefit from the tool. And just to see how do they think they ad that the adoption, because most of the tools fail on implementation because of change management. Right. It's not about the tool itself. The tool can be amazing, but if the people is not willing to, they're not gonna adopt it. And I, I skipped over it a little bit, but what? So we we you have that discovery call. What what happens in that discovery call that sets the stage for the for the demo and the later steps? So the SDR receives their lead, the marketing qualified lead, or or they did the outbound, and and they and they schedule the 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 discovery call. And they need to, they need to, so the SDRs are salespeople, probably like out of college, like a more junior, 
that want to start their their sales path and and they do a, a lot of interactions a lot of like a huge activity right so if you put the account executive who's more senior and who because he can do the demo negotiate like run over objections and and, and a lot of stuff like know how knows how to forecast and, and and more stuff if you put this person the account executive to go talk and discover if people are qualified or not you're gonna spend a lot of money on on right so what you do is you put the sdrs doing doing this this like this this huge activity and they when once they dis they schedule a discovery call what they need to to verify if these people are qualified for for sales is you you don't want to sell to everyone that's a, a big thing i mean you you don't want to send everyone to the account executive because uh, if the account executive receives a person that is has no budget or has no need or has no time or has no authority those are the four things like the bond uh, the bond is the thing that the sdr needs to verify in order to send this person to to the account executive if not the account executive is going to spend a lot of time that it's gonna not it's not gonna be worthy. That customer will then go over to do the demo. Like you said, generally they'll bring other people into the room and you'll say it'll be it'll be a very tailored demo because of what you've learned about them and you sort of show them the product and say, here's exactly how we're gonna plug into your organization and here's how we can solve the problems that you have. And then you go into that implementation phase, like you mentioned, doing everything that you can from your side to handle the change management and to get people, you know, they're probably even though their old tooling is probably not great they're used to using it so getting them onto something new how do you how do you work customers through that process of you know like bare metrics we compete with spreadsheets and so it can be sometimes really difficult to pull the whole organization off of spreadsheets and onto a tool like ours how do you go about doing something like that that's a great question i i think you need to if you're buying something like everyone wants to buy but no one wants to be like sold right like not no one wants to hear salespeople, right? So what I think people need to do is to help them, help them buy because they want to buy. They want to buy what is best for their organization. So you as a salesperson need to help them evaluate what's the best solution for the problem they have. Hopefully it's yours, but maybe not. And if not, you need to discard those, those prospects as soon as possible. So if you understand from scratch that the problem, in our case, for example, if their problem is project management and it's not project's profitability, or if they're not looking for an all-in-one solution for the professional service uh, industry, I would rather rather go say, hey, there are plenty of tools. Like go with, I don't know, like Monday with uh, Asana, with Trello, with Basecamp. Um, you have a ton of tools and, and you, you can disqualify. That's how you can also understand if solving that problem in our case profitability is their top priority if that's not their top priority they it's it's better to talk later on that makes perfect sense cool okay well i do want to start to start to wrap us down here but i kind of feel obligated we're, we're so close to getting all the way through the funnel <laughs> you know you have this so you do this great you know this great trial and customers decide they want to sign up what steps do you take after that from like a customer success perspective or, you know, kind of the after the sales steps to make sure that the company continues to use the product, make sure that, you know, I don't do, do you at that point also look for 
opportunities to upsell or different products that you can add to them? Like what's that, what's the post-sale process look like for you? So yeah, once once they start, like once they become a customer, we present them the our customer success management team and, and change management is the key there because you can train them technically on the platform and that, that that's also very important. One thing that I will I would emphasize is industry knowledge. In our case, we have a lot of industry knowledge. We know very well how agencies work, how consulting firms work, because we come from there and the team we like the team that is within core that works in, our, in the company also comes from there, mostly in the customer success management team. So it's technical training. So how, how does core works, but also and probably most important is change management training and you need to you need to make everyone feel secure feel safe their job is not gonna die they're 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 gonna they're not gonna be replaced by a robot and it's not how can you be afraid of core it's it's more about how can core empower your current job right so once you have everyone on board on that we do a very important job on uh, purpose. We tell we we have a we have a meeting with the whole company, uh, or we if if we cannot if we can't do this call, we we send them a video. Uh, that is, we tell them why are we in business, and we are not in business to make uh, in this case, for example, the agency more profitable to make shareholders more profitable only. Of course, we do. Of course, that's one of the consequences. Right. That that is a byproduct for sure. Yeah, but at the same time, it's we we felt firsthand that creative people need to raise their salaries. They're working a lot. They work fourteen hours a day, sixteen hours a day. They work on on weekends, and this is the only way you can raise your salary. If you can show how, what's the cost on that project, so your so the leader can renegotiate with the client. If, if the people, if the end user buys in, then you're creating a great company. That's all. I have one more, one more question and maybe it'll lead to a few more, but I do want to be thoughtful and then respectful of your time. Uh, I'm just curious. And so we've sort of gone all the way through the funnel from, you know, a prospect that you've never talked to before. And now we've gotten all the way through to sign contract and we're, you know, in sort of a customer success mindset. At what points in the process do you engage the product team are they involved in demos are they getting feedback as you know from the sales team or you know how how does how do you plug all these customer touch points into the product to make sure that the product's improving so what we do is we put the product team at first when 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 they become a customer uh, some of what what some conversations we we have when we're during the sale uh, is what ERPs or what CRMs or what other tools are you using so we can integrate them. And so the product team comes in after they, so they become a client and, and we, we, we see with, the, with our customer, we see if there's a need to integrate the software with, with other platforms. And if, if that's the case, we, we bring the product team in. If not, we, we don't bring them in. We don't involve the product team. And so they, and I don't know, maybe if the product team likes this or they don't like it, but if everything goes smooth with the sales process and they, they have the opportunity to be left alone and then, you know, then the sales can kind of process can move through in a smooth pro, uh, you know, smoothly. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, the, the product team speaks a lot with our customers, but not because of a, 
not because the client needs it, it's because we need it. We want to right. understand them better. We want to hear them. We want to know like how are they, like what problems they have, so we can build a better solution and iterate fast, right? What's that process like? Is that sort of on a as needed? You know, if you're doing so, if the product team has a new feature that they want to build, is that something where they will conduct sort of a specific customer outreach process for that, or do you have ongoing? customer touch points that are sort of always happening to gain feedback and to to hear from the customers. So we have like more commonly two 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 scenarios. One is an ongoing where the every customer that answers the NPS. So we we send NPS service uh, uh, surveys uh, every every day. So once we have a someone that is uh, like that the, the, they doesn't like the the, the tool a lot they we the product team reaches them out uh, automatically uh, so with the nps tool we use and so that's one touch point and the other one is as we are designing new features our product team on the on the design sprint they they always bring some customers to receive like their testimony on on how this feature may or may not improve their, their work. That's great. Cool. Okay. Well, Sadie, I feel like I can, I can keep uh, asking you uh, questions and, and x-raying, you know, every process at your business. I, I love how thoughtful and um, methodical that you've been. And I really love to hear. I think, feel like a lot of times businesses will create these processes and they'll implement them at the beginning of their business and they, they won't do it in the right way to where it creates more drag than benefit. But I, I just love to hear how thoughtful that you've been. And it sounds like you've put in the the right amount of effort at every level. And I, I just, I don't know, I just appreciate your, it's just uh, so interesting to hear your story. And it's almost like every time, you know, I'm sure zooming out, living, living through it probably wasn't quite like this, but hearing your story, it almost feels like every great opportunity that, you know, flew within 500 miles of you, you grabbed and you took and you actually executed on it. So I just, I appreciate you sharing everything. And this has been really useful. Do you want to provide a minute at the end here for you to, you know, talk about core to any potential customers out there, you know, kind of put the word out if people want to learn more about the the company and maybe potentially want to uh, be one of those um, MQLs that we were just talking about, uh, you know, where can they find out more about the the product? And if you maybe even just want to give a little bit of a, a pitch to say, hey, here's exactly the type of customers we're, we're looking for. That would be that would be awesome. Great. Thank you, Brian. So you can you can get to know more about core at projectcore.com. And Core is a project's profitability solution. I mean, what we understood is that nobody cares about project management. Everyone cares about delivering a profitable project for your service firm. When we say service firm is if you're a creative agency, an advertising agency, if you're a consulting firm, if you're a software development shop, if you're an architect, if you are a lawyer, if you're an accountant, if you're billing hours to your client, you need to understand beforehand, before delivering that project, if you're doing it profitably or not. So Core is the next generation solution for creative and professional teams that will help you intelligently to deliver projects and teams and, 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 and finance in the right way. That's, that's what we do. And we apply machine learning and AI to automate a lot of this stuff and, and keep the boring things for for the machine and, and, and putting the creative people to 
to work on on what is important. Yes, I realize that we we didn't even spend any time talking about all the incredible innovation that you guys have done in the uh, the ML and AI world to <laughs> to make all these things seamless. But I guess um, if anybody's interested in seeing that, they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to sign up as a customer to <laughs> experience it firsthand. Great, thank you, Brian. I, I I felt very comfortable. I I love the way you you interview, and I congratulate you and and Burmetrics for things you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Santi. I appreciate you making the time. Thank you. That was our conversation with Santi Biblioni, founder of Core. If you're an agency looking to deliver work profitably and on time, check out projectcore.com. If it's business analytics and growth tools you're looking for, check us out at bearmetrics.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to check out our other founder chats. And if you're able to share with a friend or leave a review, that goes a long way. Thanks for listening.